Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in the space. Let's get started. Dr. James Vaughn Jr. was born and raised in San Francisco's historically Black Fillmore District. He's a proud dad of three sons, James III, 23, Jamel, 21, and Jabari, 19 years old. Dr. Vaughn graduated from San Jose State University in 1994 with a bachelor's degree in administration of justice. After two years of employment with the probation department, he decided that his skills would make more of an impact on teenagers by working in crime prevention versus law enforcement. Dr. Vaughn returned to San Jose State University to pursue his teaching credentials and became a full-time teacher in 1998. He earned his master's degree in special education at San Jose State University in 2001. Dr. Vaughn moved his family to Tracy in 2003, and was elected to the Tracy Unified School District Board of Trustees in November 2004. Dr. Vaughn became the first African-American president of the Tracy Unified School Board of Trustees during 2007 to 8 school year, and he also served as president during 2013 to 2014. He also co-founded 360 Degrees of Knowledge Mentoring Services Incorporated, a 501c3 since 2003. Most recently, he earned his doctorate degree in organizational leadership at UMass Global University, and he's currently the principal of courts and community schools at the San Mateo County Office of Education. He's a transformational leader that exemplifies kindness and emotional intelligence. Well, I am excited to have you on the Jolly Podcast, Dr. James Vaughn. I am so excited. I've known you for many, many years, and it is truly a pleasure to have you join, especially to talk a little bit about kind of your own journey as well as kind of the educational system, which yes, I think, you know, there's a lot of challenges in the educational system. So maybe you can help really kind of unpack some of that for us, because I know 
with you serving on the school board, your dissertation, all of the work that you've done over the years, you are the master. So I am looking forward to kind of digging in. But I would love for you to just maybe start by talking a little bit about how you got where you are and how you even got interested in education. Sure. So I just wanted to thank you for having me this evening. You're definitely excited to talk about Tracy and Tracy schools. Definitely something that I'm still excited about, even though I haven't served on the board in, what, five years now? So five years removed from that. But at the same time, I'm definitely a person that's still uh, interested in, in our schools here, you know, so. Definitely. How I first got started, I moved to Tracy in 2003 and I was here just only for a short period of time, and I saw an article in the paper that Evelyn Tolbert was featured in. Okay. And it had her contact information there. So I wanted to get involved with just working my mentoring program here in Tracy. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to Evelyn, and you know, Evelyn will put you to work <laughs> for sure. You call her up. I learned very fast that if you call her, she's going to put you to work. So I called Evelyn and I was, we were talking about the, um, the mentoring program and she was like, wait, we have a gentleman that's going to be going off the school board and we would love that African-American representative remain on the board. So I think this could be something that you may be interested in. And it just took off from there. And she put me in touch with all the right people, even my campaign manager back then and a member of the teachers union. And next thing you know, I'm marching in the 4th of July parade. And <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, it just took off right, right away. Yeah. And that my campaign was started. It was just um, a beautiful thing. And I just thank Evelyn to this day for, you know, for encouraging me to get involved. Yeah. And that's always a challenge too, right? Because people don't think that they can just run or get involved like that. So that's awesome. Yes. And, and I never run for anything, not in high school, elementary. I, I had never been in any office in my whole life. So it was, it was definitely something brand, brand new. And I just stepped out on faith and one, you know, I just had, I had a re very, very good team of people that helped me um, during my first campaign and just got a lot of support from so many different people here. You know, it was just, just really, really great to get that kind of support my first time out. So, well, and you were already teaching at this point, right? Yes, I, I was already a teacher. I became a teacher in 1998. So, <laughs> headed towards the end of my career now. This is my 25th year in education. Wow, fantastic. My main district that I was a part of was Pleasanton Unified School District. I, I worked at Amador Valley High, I, I taught there for, for 10 years. So, the majority of my career, I was in Pleasanton. That was my my foundation of getting into special education. So I was just very fortunate to be a part of a good school district that taught me um, how to work hard. And it just led to so many things. Actually, that connection really helped me on the school board because one thing that was a hot topic in Tracy back then was these different ballot measures that they had where it was like a trade-off where these developers wanted to get these housing units in exchange for building or repairing our schools. 
So with a lot of people, it was a measure A back then, and people wanted slow growth here in Tracy. So I was a proponent of slow growth, and my school district in Pleasanton had just passed a school bond where the taxpayers had paid. So I had some experience. I was actually in the new building in Pleasanton, and I brought that idea. Um, when That was one of the things during the campaign. There was the school district and the superintendent were um, in this developer deal and the voters overwhelmingly, you know, voted that down. And once I got onto the board, Dr. Franco um, liked my idea of moving forward with a bond measure. And that was our first bond measure that we had here in Tracy, Measure E. And um, that idea really actually came from, from my experience in Pleasanton. Once I brought the idea, and that was one of my platforms during my campaign, then Dr. Franco took it from there. Okay. You know, I really garnered the support of the whole community here in Tracy. And we were able to bring together um, the community. Tracy High wanted a new building. So the Dr. James Franco building, that was um, what they needed. And West High needed a football field. So people probably don't know that when I first got on the school board, West High did not have a football field. West used to have to graduate off Tracy High's football field. And I know people probably can't imagine that now, but the, having to graduate off your rival's football field. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so that, first, that first ballot measure led to the, all those buildings and the new football field at Tracy High because there were some other uh, matching grants that we were able to get with that money. Just a great team of people. Denise Wakefield was a was part of our facilities team back then, and she knew how to get all these state matching grants. And it led to West getting their football field, their theater building, and their swimming pool. And then it led to all the other buildings that have been redone. You know, Southwest Park School was rebuilt from from those bond measures. And also, you know, the, the students of Tracy will benefit probably the next 50, 60 years from those buildings being built and um, really help to garner the support because we really needed the help of the voters to get those passed. So yeah, um, big kudos to Dr. Frank from, from leading that charge back then, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. He is a legend. Definitely. Definitely. For good reason. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and it's so interesting to me that, you know, there, every city seems to have, and every district seems to have, you know, their own sets of challenges especially in getting things done. So it, it's wonderful to see, you know, things get reversed here because that particular school, I mean, it had some real challenges. So to really kind of be able to re rebuild um, was, was phenomenal. Yes. So let me ask you a loaded question. Uh, sure. Just go off to the left here for a minute, or is it the right? Um, anyway, <laughs> and talk a little bit about just, you know, like safety in the schools. Yes. Because, you know, you working in the schools and being in education for so long, I mean, obviously we've seen so many challenges with, you know, gun violence and all of those things. I mean, do you think there's something that we could be doing at a local level? Well, is is really just, you know, partnering with local law enforcement, having good procedures in place. 
I, I'm currently a principal um, for elementary school in Oakland, California. You know, we don't have police officers on our campuses. However, we do have many protocols in place of when to call the police and when not to call the police. So it's just really yeah. just being vigilant, letting kids know, hey, you know, please let me know if you see something or if you hear something. And really just developing the student voice on your campus is so important because kids know a lot of information before the adults do. So just really building those kind of connections with the kids where they feel safe giving us information. So I really just try to explain the kids giving information. If you observe something, that's not snitching because the kids throw that word around so much. Right. Um, where you, you want them to be comfortable giving a, giving information to adults. So on many different investigations that I do, and many times there's not a weapon involved, I do reiterate to students like, hey, you're not snitching. You're just giving an observation. You, you saw something and you're reporting it. You're, you're, not, you're not snitching on anyone. So I think just really build those connections with the students to get information, you know, helps out a lot. We, we, we definitely have a lot of policies where we keep the school locked up during, during the daytime. Um, where I'm at, um, we have a, like a doorbell in the front of the school, so, which has a camera. So we can see who's coming in and we have to actually, you know, we have to let them into the school. Yeah. All right. So, so that helps out a lot too. Yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I mean, I think keeping kids safe is so, we got to make sure we figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just really just not ever getting too comfortable. Me as the administrator on the campus, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, every day I'm on top of it and making sure that I'm taking care of business. But then also, since I am in the East Bay, making sure that I'm not bringing problems to my school. Yeah. Really treating everybody with kindness and respect when they come through the door. You know, if a parent has a, you know, an issue uh, where they feel their child is bullied, I always make sure I drop whatever I'm doing and, and listen to whatever their their concern is. So it's just really just we as school officials or teachers or staff, just really treating everybody with respect. Yeah. And, you know, from the from, you know, just every everyone that we come in contact with, just treating them with kindness and respect. And I feel that goes a long way to to keeping the school safe also. Yeah, I think that's all anybody wants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the topics on diversity, equity, and inclusion, I mean, that's really all we're talking about is yes. let's have equality of respect. Definitely. <laughs> we were talking a little bit about your dissertation. And congratulations, by the way, Dr. Thank Mom, you. Because I know you have worked on, you know, your doctorate and I'm excited that you were able to complete your dissertation and defend it. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about it, if you want to share. Sure. Hopefully I won't put you to sleep. <laughs> but, but my topic was on um, team dynamics, and it was through the eyes of a school board president. I use this model as, as Parker's model of the 12 characteristics of effective teams. But I was able to narrow it down to five characteristics because 12 would have been too long of an interview when I had to interview my subjects. And Kelly Lewis, former school board president, and Tracy, he was on an expert panel of school board, former school board members, and he helped me narrow that 12 down to five. So it was three people, including Kelly. He helped me out a lot um, to get 
that 12 characteristics down to five. I love it. Uh, one reoccurring theme that kept coming up was listening. Yeah. You know, so when school board teams are together, just really learn to listen to each other. Even if you don't agree with the person, just being able to listen and to have civil disagreement because the whole community is usually watching school board meetings nowadays because they are available on Zoom. People don't have to come in person and everyone's watching. Students are watching, parents are watching, staff, teachers, everybody's watching. And if the school board isn't getting along, a lot of those things, they, they, you know, it follows down to, to the, to the students. Yeah. You know, that behavior, that negative, that negative behavior of people treating each other rude and things like that, it can, it can definitely affect the students. So I was able to interview five different school board members from up and down the coast of California and some really good ones, actually two African-American women from Southern California really gave me some great insight on how to really do retreats with where the school board members can do retreats together to, to discuss real topics and have those tough conversations outside of the school board meeting, I think is such a valuable thing because there are topics that need to be discussed these days, like um, implicit bias, critical race theory is something that, that needs to be discussed, whether a school district adopts it or not it should at least be discussed to see exactly what does critical race theory entail and how, how and how it can affect the school district. So it's just so many different topics that effective school boards discuss during their retreats. Now, we used to do our retreats as Tracy Unified, but when we had budget cuts back around 08, 09, that was something that went away because we cut so many things away from the classroom that we we felt we needed to take a cut too. So that was something that we cut was our was our board retreat because it did cost money. So but it was something valuable that we did cut because it was good to get to know people out for myself when I was a young board member to get to know my fellow board members outside of the, the board meeting. So that was one thing that that came up just about listening, civil disagreement, you know, just being respectful of others and I would say just a lot of the information that I was able to get from my different subjects, just all, a lot of it came back to being a good, a good listener. And, and even, even me as a school administrator, I, I listen a lot. I do a lot of listening and a lot of preparation. So one of the things that was recommended was for school board members to participate in um, a lot of the professional developments that are offered for for school board members. I know I went through it um, back in like 05, 06, somewhere back there. I, I went through the Masters of Governance, Governance program that the California School Board Association, they they sponsor it. And it's like six, six different modules that you have to take to um, to finish that certification. And it was really helpful because once I started going through the trainings, I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I've been doing so many things that that were wrong. And my school board members were, were still putting up with me, even though I was doing things that were not recommended by by the California School Board Association. People on my board still had a lot of patience with me. But once I went through the training, it made me a stronger board member. You know, so I started I started really learning the ropes then and and learning what to do and what not to do, and really how to pass things, how to get my own things past some some of my own passions to get um, past, you know, for our kids. 
Yeah. So one one of the women that I interviewed, she said that it was one initiative initiative that she really wanted to pass. And she she was a school board member over 20 years. But it took her six years just to massage the board to get her own initiative passed. So things don't happen overnight all the time. However, you can get whatever your passion is done by listening to others and maybe backing them up on one of one of their passions. And then when it's your turn to come around where I'm fighting for some of them for the African-American kids, then I have a, I have open ears because I've been listening to my fellow board members and also, you know, helping them get some of their things that they wanted passed. Then when it was my turn, they were open to it. Like really when I wanted to have the college bound come here to Tracy with Dr. Um, Darlene Willis. Yes. That was, that was a huge thing. It took, and, and that did take about four to five years before we brought her on with a full program. You know, so she first started coming to Tracy like 08, 09. Then by 2014, she, we had a full program that was open to all three high schools. So it did take some time. And, and so for remember, it does take some patience. You you know, you might you might have a passion you might have an initiative that you think is important. But you have to know that if, if it's important to you, you're going to be consistent and vigilant and you're going to keep fighting for it. And, and the time will come. Yeah. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. What other advice can you give us with, I mean, have you having served on the school boards, and I think I shared this with you earlier, whether I'm going to a city council meeting or a school board or something, there is this divisiveness really in, you know, kind of any sitting. So I love the fact that you're talking about team teams because, you know, when I think of a board of directors or a city council or whatever, I mean, they're supposed to be a team. Yes. And so, but it's interesting because I think, you know, a lot of times you see there are people in the roles and they're not acting like they're a team. They are pitted one against the other. <laughs> right. And and we do see that a lot, whether it's city council or school board, where people bring it to the open. They they come out and they they're disagreeing right in right in the public in front of in front of the people that we're supposed to be working for. Yes. We're we're working for the for the people. You know, they're the ones that put us in office and I just, it just, it does take time to develop those relationships. And, it, and it's really just learning to civilly disagree with someone. And there's, there's different kinds of conflict. This is what I learned through my study. There's cognitive conflict that is more positive. You know, hey, we don't have to agree, but at least I'm listening to you and we, we can have a healthy debate on whatever topic it is. But then there's the other kind of negative conflict. And that that kind of conflict is where you're, you know, you're attacking someone, you, you know, you're sitting there and you're not listening to understand. You're listening to respond. Right. And you're, you're just waiting. You, you know, you'll sit the whole meeting and you you just can't wait for that person that you don't like to say that thing that you that you that you want to oppose. And you're waiting for them to say something that you don't like. And then now you now you have your response. And we, we really want to get away from that, that kind of governance 
in general because it doesn't help. It doesn't help the people. And then when, then when we're talking about the school district, it doesn't help the students. And many times we're not setting a good example when we're in the public, and we're not setting that good example for for the students. So it definitely takes sending our pub, making sure our public officials are getting that professional development when they're onboarding. So that was one of the things I learned through my study is uh, many, whether it's the school district or the city council, there needs to be some onboarding development there where a person that's brand new within a certain amount of time, they should be sent to training. This, this is some of the information that I got from the subjects that I interviewed. Some of the different districts did have onboarding, like those women that I mentioned from Southern California, they had onboarding. And after a person was on, I think by six months, they had to finish certain trainings that they had to go through to, to, to just help them gain the knowledge. Because sometimes a person will get defensive if they don't have knowledge of what's going on. It's if they felt like they're, they're put on the spot, if they're asked a question and they didn't do the preparation for, for whatever meeting. And, it, and then it does, it can call the negative reaction. So, well, that, those are good, great things to, for any team. Um, yes. as we talk about development, listening, I mean, listening, listening, listening. No, <laughs> I mean, yes. that, I mean, I, I think we need more of that for sure. So then in terms of, and now that you're at your school, you know, your school in Oakland, are there other best practices you, you may have uncovered in terms of just your administration of a school? I mean, I think sometimes it's even challenging to see, you know, from a representation and diversity standpoint to see teachers, people of color, women, you know, kind of all of those things. So, how are you challenged with, I mean, I know Oakland is obviously full of students of color. Um, how do you deal with, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion when it comes to the schools and the and the school boards? Well, in Oakland, I really haven't dealt with the school board that much, just in my role as principal. However, um, one thing that, that is effective at my campus to really help with equity is really developing that student voice on the campus. So there was one situation when I first got to the school, we didn't really have, well, what can I say, a policy for students that were that had committed an infraction. So many times we had kids sitting on the bench for a whole lunch. And, and since it's an elementary school, these kids do need to run some of their energy out. And, 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 it, was, and it was punitive. And it impacted my noon supervisors, too, because they had to watch all the kids on the yard. So it was hard for them to watch all the kids and watch the kids that were supposed to be sitting on the bench. So many times those kids knew that no one was no one could really monitor them the way that they needed to be. So that so there was no accountability. So you had these kids that had had done these infractions. Other kids um, had witnessed them do these infractions. And now they're playing with everybody else. So then the kids that were good, they're like, well. Well, there's no there's no penalty for doing this behavior, so I'm, I'm just gonna do whatever too. So, what what we, what we developed was called a restorative room. So after the students would eat, then um, I have an after school program. They actually start midday called Safe Passages. Um, Safe Passages and and the school we partnered to create this restorative room. So Safe Passages would get the kids after they had eaten. 
and bring them back to the restorative room. So now they had to be accountable. They can't just be on the yard running free. However, when we get them to the restorative room, we would have them do reflective papers, do a restorative circle, and really talk about what happened. So this was their time to really talk about what happened with this infraction, you know, and to really get them to talk about it. And then we start having less repeat offenders because for one, they didn't want to lose their lunch because now they're, they're in the restorative room. Now we, we have you, you know, we, you know, we're going to keep you for maybe 10, 15 minutes, but, but we have you, you're going to serve. And, and now we're, we're teaching you to talk through whatever your, your issue, your issue is. And, and with so many students that have social emotional issues, especially since um, the COVID school closures, it's so important for, for kids to learn to express themselves in the appropriate way. So this was definitely a, a, it has been just a really, really good program. Uh, we start seeing less and less kids with the, you know, well, not so many, not, we didn't, we didn't see the recidivism where we had the kids that are frequently coming in because now they were dealing with whatever the issue they had and realized their role in it. And, and then the next time they made a better decision. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I love it. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, there's probably a lot of corporations that could use a restorative room for some of their employees. Seriously. Uh, you know, I mean, seriously, if there's, there is a lot we can learn from uh, all walks and all industries. So I love that idea of having a restorative room. I might need one for my house. Right. <laughs> Step on into the restorative room. Right, exactly. Let's talk this out. I love it. So then I did want to uh, make sure that we gave a shout out to your fraternity. Yes. Cap Alpha Psi. <laughs> you know, yes, play, you got the I red on. I, I knew yes, you represented you know. today. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yes, yeah, so I pledged at San Jose State University, Delta Road chapter. So I pledged undergrad. Now I'm part of Berkeley Alumni. So I've been partnering with Berkeley alumni with my with the school that I'm at, and we're starting some programs there. So it's been definitely a, a great experience to to partner with with Kappa in the in the Bay Area now. Yeah, and to um, have them come in as role models for our kids at our at our school, you know. So it, it's it's been really really good. Um, a, a good program that they're running is called uh, Raising Youth Resilience through the Berkeley Alumni Chapter. And they they're they're helping us with raising our attendance. So um, that program is run by brother um, John Norman, and John his program actually goes out to get the kids from home. So oh wow, that, yeah, because it's too much to ask our teachers to do home visits and things these days. So that mentoring program they they have the transportation, and many times sometimes just the students know that someone cares that much to come pick them up from home. Can you know can can make a huge difference? Like I'm saying, so so many kids are suffering from anxiety and depression these days. It's, it's really serious, especially since the pandemic, and they need that extra push. You know, it may, you know, it's not how we were raised, but you know, I really can't put all my same values how we were raised on today's kids, and because they're dealing with a lot of things, I never had to deal with the pandemic when I was coming, so it was just totally different. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because I think a lot of schools probably don't realize how many resources they might be able to tap into when you talk about some of the organizations that are providing services 
and would love to partner with schools to showcase, you know, their particular outreach and programs to really help with the kids. So, yeah, I mean, so shout out Kappa Alpha Phi, Berkeley Alumni Chapter. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I love it. And, and during Christmas time, the Sigma Gamma Rose, they, they were able to donate for our coat drive. And, you know, they donated brand new coats from Macy's for the kids. So it was really, really nice. The families were so happy. We we actually threw an event for it was a toy and coat drive, and um, just just really nice because the, the families really you know the kids were wearing the coats the next day. You know they didn't wait till Christmas. They need they you know these families they, they need the coats right now. So yeah, it was it was it was, it was just um, just great for to partner with different organizations. Yes, that's fantastic. So now j- before I let you go, because we have I know we've touched on the you know, COVID closures and you talked a little bit about, you know, the anxiety and some of the challenges that the kids have, which I know I've seen just, you know, some of the uh, communication challenges. Are there, I mean, in terms of the trends for education, because I mean, I mean, it really was a complete change in education for a couple, at least a couple of years. How, what kind of a impacts are you seeing in the schools and, and what can people do if, I mean, I just did a podcast on mental health. And so I had Hawanya Lima talked a lot about some of the tips and the symptoms and things that you can identify. But I mean, from an educational standpoint, are you seeing things that are challenging, more challenging than they were based on you know, that whole shift in COVID closure? Because for me personally, I feel like the two years, I can't even really account for them. Like when people say, how long has such and such? It's like, it's almost like the kids grew two years and you didn't even notice. I mean, they just are like, whoa, what happened? (laughs) So one thing that we see, um, the socialization that students would normally have received during preschool or TK, or kindergarten, the the students that missed that, they're like second, third grade now. And you definitely see the difference. Like my second, third grade recess, I had to be outside because they they're definitely a rambunctious group because they they didn't they didn't have that time, you know, to 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 enjoy kindergarten, you know, preschool and kindergarten. They missed they missed some of that time, you know. So just really just paying attention and uh, many of the students were being raised on YouTube during that time. Many of the parents, um, many parents realized that it is a very difficult job to educate our students. And just so many of them were, all, many students were all constantly on their computers, on YouTube. And YouTube, if you know, if you know about YouTube, is it, definitely a rap. You can go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, where you may, you may go on there looking for one video, even as an adult. And the next thing you know, you're looking at Suge Knight thing or something. I'm like, <laughs> I was looking up how to fix my car. Right. Did, why am I watching this Suge Knight episode or something? Yeah. You know? And then so, two hours later. <laughs> right. Two hours later. <laughs> now, now I'm just watching Animal Planet video. You know, you know, you just go down this rabbit hole. And, and sometimes many of our young students have been exposed to some things 
because there's some adult content on YouTube. There's lots of adult content, you know, and they have this whole dark um, part of YouTube for that student that the six-year-olds, they even know about it. And they have many mouse has anxiety. She wants to kill herself and all these kinds of really dark cartoons that some, you know, I didn't buy it until the kids start telling me about it. I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, the kids are being exposed to all these um, bad things on YouTube and the parents may not even be aware that they're watching it because the many times the parents aren't, they, you know, the kid may be into gaming. So they right. start off watching a gaming video. Right. You know, then the next thing you know, like I'm saying, they're, they go down that rabbit hole and now they're watching something inappropriate that, that they probably shouldn't have been watching. So that's one thing I noticed with a lot of kids that, you know, I, like I said, I have six-year-olds talking about killing themselves um, nowadays and talking about a lot of adult content and things because of some of the things that they're being exposed to online. That's one thing that I've seen a lot after the pandemic. So many kids have been exposed to a lot of adult content. Our counselors are very important at our school to really work with our students to to talk out many of these issues that they that they've had and you know just just a lot of kids seeing things that they shouldn't that they shouldn't see online so i would just recommend parents to really pay attention even if they start on a gaming video and you leave the room and think everything's okay maybe check back in in another 15 minutes or 30 minutes just keep checking back in to see what what the kids are actually watching yeah that's a great point Definitely a great point. Screen time is is a big deal these days. There's just so much when it comes to education. And I do, I definitely want to say teachers are so, I mean, they are so important, so critical. And clearly, clearly we don't appreciate them enough. I just want to give a a major shout out to all the teachers, especially the ones that had to go through, you know, the pandemic and the shift and all of those things. Cause I know that was, that was a, a significant shift in, you know, your, in your teaching process. Yes. Um, And, you know, I think a lot, a lot of parents really started to understand like, you know what, this, this is challenging. (laughs) Even my own kids, it's, you know, it's challenging. So um, definitely shout out and big props to our teachers. Is there anything that we can do when we think about, you know, schools today, the education of our kids? And I, you know, I I spend a lot of time talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we kind of touched a little bit on that. Mm -hmm. But are there other things we could do to even in teachers recruiting maybe are you guys doing anything exciting there yeah I think recruitment of um, African-American teachers that's um, something that I would you know love to do and to really get out there I know Dr. Franco was big on that um, him and Jody yeah Jody Weirich yeah they you know they have like they I mean I've heard so many great stories because they they will go together on these recruitment trips and to recruit black teachers, They went to Illinois. I mean, it's just so many. These are things that happened before I was even on the board. So Tracy you know, used to have a good recruitment of, of black teachers and 
some black teachers that I did meet here, they they were recruited by Dr. Franco and they came they came here with signing bonuses and different ways to attract um, African-American teachers here to Tracy. Interesting. In Oakland, same same deal. You know, we we really are one to attract more African-Americans to the to the field because our students need to see people that look like them, um, whether it's in the teacher or administrator or counselor. We, we, we definitely, it's a need, you know, I know when I was going through the teaching credentialing program, it was only myself and my frat brother, Sean, we were the only ones in the program back then. And then Javette, Javette works in Tracy too, right now, actually, um, she came in after us, but it was, she was the only one then after I was nearly done with the program. So, um, we definitely have to talk up the profession. Many times people talk down on the, the teaching profession where people say, oh, they don't make any money. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. But it is, you know, the the salaries have improved over the years and it is a rewarding career and you get good, great vacation time. And, you know, so it's just, it's just so many good aspects of teaching. My family, I come from a family of educators. My grandfather's siblings were educators. I um, was very popular down there as administrator. And then uh, my aunt Beatrice Spears is from Vacaville. She she was a teacher. And where did Dr. Franco come from? Vacaville. Before Dr. Franco worked at Tracy High as the principal, he started off in Vacaville. And, and him and my aunt Beatrice Spears were on the same faculty. There's a picture out there somewhere that my cousins have of Dr. Franco and my great aunt in the same picture on the same faculty in Vacaville. So I had, you know, Dr. Franco and I had a lot of different connections, you know, Knowing yeah. that he worked with my with my great aunt was so cool, you know. Yeah. So it's a small world. Small world. Man, small world. Small world. <laughs> if so, we just got to but to your point, if we just got to know each other, we would start to realize how how connected we truly are. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I mean, I I think just I think part of, you know, coming out of slavery and and just so many things. We could look at Cointel Pro. Just so I just I just feel like it's a it was just a negative strategy against our people to talk down on the education profession. Yeah, because I don't really hear a lot of other cultures talk down on it like that. But I know it's it's a consistent the negative aspects of teaching within the black community. And I think we have to change that narrative to really start telling. We have to start looking like 100 years forward as black people to plan out you know, the, our coming generations. And I, I would say over the next hundred years for us to really be liberated as a people, we're, we're, we're going to need some black educators, a lot of black educators to get in there and liberate our students. Our schools will remain as the pipeline to prison. You know, we don't want to see that. Yeah, we definitely don't. Right. Well, well, I truly appreciate this conversation because I, th- you know, I feel like we're just getting started. There's so right. much to talk about, and so you know, you're welcome to come back anytime. Uh, you know, you know, I'll be back. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, oh, back to Jolly the podcast because you, you know, your husband Peter, he would he came out to my school in Pleasanton a couple of times, I think twice, and uh, Frederick Douglass that I would yes. never forget. And he was so amazing. The kids loved him. And he, I mean, it is so difficult. I was so impressed with Peter doing that one-man show because it's so hard when you're on stage by yourself 
and to remember to memorize all those things by Frederick Douglass, the way that he did was so awesome. And anytime I asked Peter to do something, he was there. Yeah. And I just remember. Oh, he loved that. um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just remember him coming out and, and performing and doing such an amazing job and how everybody loved him at our school, you know? So I would love to come back. Like I said, I, I love paying it forward. I, I, I never forget what, what people have done for me in my career. I just, I would never forget the amazing job Peter always did with our, with our students. Yes. The jolly himself. He was, yes. he was a character for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You know, and, and, you know, just to be able to kids attention yes. for a period of time is a challenge, but you know, I don't know. He had a way of doing that. So so I appreciate that. And um, certainly, you know, this whole, the the Jolly podcast is all kind of a head nod to him. So, yeah. Um, so I appreciate that story because it's, it's, it's amazing to see how the things that you do create memories and legacies for people. You know, he used to have people, students run up to him like years later and be like, oh my gosh, you came to my school in the sixth grade you know and I was like I mean I don't remember my sixth grade (laughs) right but you know I mean even when I was in high school I probably didn't remember sixth grade so you know I just appreciate educators that are creative in that way to bring in you know kind of oral tradition or other types of opportunities for people to learn in different ways which is fantastic Definitely. So I just want to say thank you so much for all you do, both in your current profession as an administrator and a principal, a teacher, and certainly as a Kappa as well out in the community. Just giving you definitely gratitude for all that, all the work that you're doing as a school board member and all of the things that you've done. So really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us your perspective. Yes. And thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's been, it's been wonderful. So come on back and we'll, we'll talk about critical race theory or something next. For sure. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.